You have likely heard me say before that we are in fact living in unprecedented times. We now live in a world that is changing so rapidly that even the most sound-minded person is likely having trouble feeling some sense of security. And if that is how you feel, you can rest assured that you are not alone. If your concern for the state of the planet has you deeply worried, then you may be suffering from eco-anxiety. And that is the topic of this episode, eco-anxiety and how to cope with it. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy, he has an earth shelter greenhouse, and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode 91, which is called Eco-Anxiety and How to Cope with It. Now, most likely, a good percentage of you have observed or at least heard that talks, discussions, and concerns about climate change are becoming increasingly serious. And I personally believe there is some good reason for that. However, I also believe that in general, the media tends to exaggerate just about everything. But regardless of whether or not these concerns are valid, psychologists and other mental health professionals are talking more frequently about eco-anxiety, which is a term used for distress, fear, and other negative emotions brought on by the thoughts of climate change and impending disaster. And it, of course, does not help when there is the general perception of human inaction. But as I stated before, I do believe there is reason to be concerned about climate change, but what I want to explore in this episode is whether or not those concerns are valid, whether or not our world is actually coming to an end here very shortly, whether or not those reports by the media are actually exaggerated, and if we do in fact have reason to be concerned, what should we be doing? But up front, you must know that I tend to approach things from a pragmatic or a practical perspective, and I try to look at facts, read articles, inform myself, and then make a decision on my own. And as such, that is how I'm going to approach this topic. And a good example of my typical behavior or approach to things is how I chose to deal with the COVID vaccines. Now, I waited until millions of people were vaccinated and until the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, had published articles and had statistics regarding the effectiveness of the vaccines, and armed with that information, I then got vaccinated. Now, since this episode is focused on anxiety about climate change, 
Let's first talk about whether or not there is actually a reason to be concerned. And I mentioned in previous episodes that the first seminal paper about climate change was actually published in 1896. And other prominent scientists had mentioned this before, but 1896 was the first time anything had been published with quantitative data. And now here we are over 125 years later, and we are starting to see the obvious results of climate change. And that being said, while doing some research on material for this episode, I did find several articles that worked hard at debunking the entire science behind climate change. And speaking of that, I found this wonderful article a couple days ago that was published by the New York Times that explains all of the science behind climate change. And in fact, I found it interesting enough that that's going to be the subject of the next episode. But I don't want to go into that here, but being a pragmatic, science-based person with a medical background, I tend to focus on data and numbers instead of the fear-mongering, meaningless rhetoric that's blasted out via the media. But the bottom line for me is that at least that there is a reason for concern, but you should know that one of the arguments widely published opposing this idea of climate change is that for millennia, the Earth's climate has always fluctuated, warming by 11 degrees Fahrenheit at times and cooling by at least that much at other times. But if this is truly the case, we are not dealing with permanent climate change at all, and that still means the Earth's climate is warming. And that warming trend is producing obvious detrimental effects on water supplies, crop production, ocean populations, coral reefs, and of course, people. But if, as some people believe, there is a cooling period that's in our future, then that will happen on a geologic timescale. And that means no one that is alive today will be around to experience that cooling period. And all we and all of us will experience is the warming trend and the detrimental effects of that. But one of the things I have come across in this idea, or is this idea that the world only has about 12 to 15 years before it starts to fall apart. But if you look at the science, you will see that despite our warming trend speeding up, so to speak, that trend is based on the last 150 years of weather data. So it is unlikely that much is going to change in the next 12 to 15 years. Now, as far as something unexpected happening, that is always possible. For example, people commonly ask me if I have someone watch over my cabin when I travel, and I tell them no because there is no reason. I live in the middle of the forest and everything gets shut down, and barring lightning strike, forest fire, or a tree falling on the cabin, none of which I can control, there are no reasons for real concern. And the same is true for the fate of our planet. If someone starts a nuclear war, 
the fate of our planet will be decided in less than two hours. If a giant asteroid is headed our way, and our fate is the same as the dinosaurs, we cannot do anything about that. If there is a massive volcanic eruption that blankets the atmosphere with sufficient ash to cool the climate of the entire planet, we cannot predict that either. So, in my opinion, if you want to sit back and worry about such possibilities, then you will most likely never even go outside. So, in other words, unless there is something unexpected, some unimaginable turn of events that's completely out of our control, the Earth is still going to be spinning long in about another 12 to 15 years. But regardless of that, people obviously still worry. A recent survey showed that 72% of Americans believe that climate change is real, but there's only a maybe about a third of us that talk about it regularly. And another survey I found in the United Kingdom revealed that 75% of adults in Great Britain were worried about climate change. And these worries are sufficient enough that mental health professionals are seeing the end result in the form of anxiety. And the term being used to describe this particular development is called eco-anxiety. But let's first start by examining anxiety. What is it? Is it normal? When is it abnormal? And I'm going to be somewhat brief on this topic because I am a veterinarian, not a psychologist. Because first of all, anxiety is a normal, healthy emotion for the most part, and everyone occasionally feels anxious about something. For example, when you start a new job, or if there is a problem at work, just before taking an exam, going to the doctor or the dentist about a potential problem, or before making some sort of important decision. Anxiety is this feeling of fear, dread, and uneasiness, and it may even cause you to sweat, feel restless and tense, and even elevate your heart rate and blood pressure. But now, occasional anxiety is perfectly normal, but anxiety that does not go away is what becomes a problem, and a persistent anxiety can cause you to avoid work, school, family gatherings, and even social events. Now, common triggers for anxiety are trauma, persistent stress, self-neglect, money, drugs, alcohol, not getting enough rest, as well as numerous other things. And unfortunately, part of everyday life is a certain amount of stress, but it is how we manage it that makes the difference. But there are also cultural things that tend to promote our stress, and it is well known that constant exposure to stress leads to anxiety, and that in turn is directly connected to an increase in many mental health disorders. One of the most obvious things in our culture that leads to increased stress is our constant exposure to negativity from the news media. And this constant consumption of bad news 
that we are exposed to directly contributes to anxiety and increased mental health problems. And besides this plethora of bad news concerning various things going on around the planet, we also get a constant barrage of bad news about the environment and climate change. And consequently, it should be no big surprise that people are developing what mental health professionals are calling eco-anxiety. Now, before we move on here, I think it is also important to discuss something else that is a major influence on all of us almost every single day. And this is something we experience in our culture and something we need to acutely be aware of because it affects the decisions that we make. And what we commonly are bombarded with is what I'm going to call exaggerated importance. And just for a prime example of exaggerated importance, the health messages that we are exposed to, whether that is through advertising, public service announcements, or even media reports, are often exaggerated, meaning the importance of that message is often exaggerated. So these messages often inflate the significance of a health problem or they simply overstate the benefits of the course of action that they say is best. But while most of us may think that's a little bit ridiculous and what's the rationale behind doing that, but if you really think about it, it's easy to understand why this happens. It all has to do with the market. Advertising focuses on presenting product, products and services in the most favorable fashion possible. And the end result, of course, is increased sales and increased profits. So if a pharmaceutical company wants to make sales on a new medication, the advertising is going to exaggerate the benefits and downplay the side effects. But you know, when you think about this, the same actually holds true for any sort of public service announcement. So if the value of getting a flu shot is overstated, or getting vaccinated for COVID, monitoring your blood pressure, or getting screened for specific types of cancer, if all these things are overstated, then it tends to persuade you to do the particular thing that that organization wants you to do. And finally here, we get around to the media. Because there never seems to be a shortage of exaggeration when it comes to the news media. But once again, this serves a function. Numerous organizations and even working professionals and even scientists stand to make enormous financial gain by being associated with exciting news. And for example, strongly favorable news reports on the particular medication, product, or service increases sales profits, and return on investment. And some good old-fashioned publicity benefits everyone, even the news media. Because exciting news sells papers, magazines, and subscriptions, and attracts attention to the journalist that wrote the story. So obviously there are beneficial reasons to exaggerate, which then sort of becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. And in the meantime, the news media greatly influences how people perceive climate change because their reporting is even slanted one way or another. 
So for example, the United Kingdom-based news media called The Guardian is well known for its reports on climate change. So rarely do you see skeptical opinions about the value of climate change and whether or not it's even happening. However, the more right-leaning news media, for example, the U.S.-based Wall Street Journal, are far more likely to carry skeptical opinions and editorials about climate change. And all of these variable opinions are, of course, they, they tend to confuse the public. And no one knows for sure what the truth really is. All we know is that we are constantly hearing reports of devastating wildfires, melting sea ice, rising sea levels, droughts, and increased frequency of hurricanes and other strong storms. And every time there is some sort of a natural disaster, it now gets blamed on climate change, which of course makes people worry even more. But you know, I distinctly remember about, I think it was about 15 years ago, when I was working a lot on the South Carolina coast, and at one particular season I got evacuated several times due to hurricanes. And after the third evacuation, I sort of comically inquired why anyone would tolerate such a lifestyle, and I was simply told it was just one of those bad years, and that it comes in cycles, and some years there are no hurricanes at all. But at the time, no one even thought to blame the weather on climate change. So at this point, we have discussed whether or not I think climate change is real, and I have made it clear that I think it's a valid concern. And in fact, if you want to learn more, then listen to my next episode that's going to focus directly on the science behind climate change. We have discussed whether or not the world is going to end anytime soon, and most likely that's not the case, with the exception of some unforeseen dramatic event, such as a giant asteroid or maybe even an alien death ray. Then we talked about the causes of anxiety and how that relates to eco-anxiety. And now the question becomes, what exactly should we be doing? Well, in my opinion, as far as anxiety is concerned and uncertainty about climate and even our culture, by far one of the best things you can do for yourself from a mental health perspective is to simply disconnect yourself on a regular basis. This means have some quiet time, turn off the television, turn off your phone, get off the internet, please stay off social media, and get away from friends, family, spouses, and children. And do all of this on a regular basis because it will clear your head, it will calm you down, and do wonders for your mental health. Because you know what? Every morning, every single morning when I get up, I start off my day with an hour of quiet time. I drink coffee, I pet the dogs, I sit out on the deck watching the sunrise and enjoying the total absence of any sort of man-made sound. And I often think if the rest of the world could start their day just like this and just like I do, there would be a whole lot less anger and frustration. And along those same lines, take a break and spend some time in nature. 
the mental health value and healing value of spending time outside has been proven in numerous studies. Read articles, start a garden, learn about the local wildlife, learn about how to predict the weather by looking at the clouds. The point here is spend some time learning about the very thing you are worried about and that being the natural world. And additionally, if you have not yet listened to episode 28, which is called A Walk in the Woods, and episode 60, which is called The Value of Reconnecting with Nature, then in those two episodes I go into a lot of detail about the value of spending time outside. So the next thing you can do that I would recommend is if you're really worried about the fate of the planet, then look at the science. Read articles about climate change and what's going on around the world, and instead of forming an opinion on climate change based on the latest report from the media, read something from Scientific American, National Geographic, Nature Magazine, etc. And furthermore, learn to be a very healthy skeptic. Read something that is unbiased and not politically slanted in one direction or the other, and do not depend on the media as the basis of forming your opinion. Look at things critically. Look at commonly used methods of exaggeration designed to produce a specific emotional reaction from you. Because this usually means someone is looking for financial or personal gain at your expense. And my next tip, which goes right along in this same thought process, is just say no to denial. Because climate change can be a terrifying thing to think about, and it's perfectly normal to experience some sort of anxiety about it, but putting your head in the sand in denial is no way to cope. And one of the most healthy things that you can do is to get involved. Because anxiety is often linked to feelings of uncertainty or a complete lack of control, and getting involved and taking action will not only empower you, but your deeds may in fact have a positive impact on someone else. And getting involved will also help you connect with people who have similar concerns and show you that you are not alone. So don't passively accept the situation and feel as if we are all doomed. Get up and do something about it. And while you're deciding to get up and do something about it, the next best thing you can do is to look at your own personal habits. And I know sometimes this can be difficult and it's easy to judge yourself and feel guilty about using plastic and styrofoam or maybe eating a big steak dinner or running your air conditioning all the time or taking extra car trips when you can walk or ride your bicycle. But judging yourself and feeling shameful simply promotes feelings of having no control. So instead of judging yourself, take a critical look at your personal habits and make the commitment to change. Because I can tell you from personal experience and 25 plus years of living off the grid, I am still learning. You can't just take a pill and have it be over. There are numerous 
online resources to help you in your journey to living more sustainably. Not to mention that I now have 90 podcast episodes online full of valuable tips to help you along your way. So I do want to reiterate once again that I personally believe that climate change is a real phenomenon. And despite the media reports that the Earth only has a few years left, or we are at a tipping point of no return, nothing could really be further from the truth, because our climate future has not yet been decided. And the simple fact is that the climate of our planet does not change overnight. It takes centuries for that to actually happen. However, reversing climate change is a global issue. It is going to require sweeping changes, direct involvement from big business and big government. But many, many people are recognizing the importance of that and are taking some pretty drastic actions. And if you want a dose of encouragement, then go back and listen to episode 74, which is called Growing the Next World Wonder. But despite all of that, recent surveys of younger people found that 45% of them have negative feelings about climate change. But regardless, we still have the ability to alter our future. We just have to disconnect from all the noise, spend time in nature, look at the science, say no to denial, get involved, and take a look at your personal habits. Because after all, we have the ability to take control of our sustainable future one choice at a time. Just as with climate change, preventing one piece of trash from going to the landfill is not what is going to save the planet, but a lifetime of sustainable habits will. George Washington Carver once said, when there is no vision, there is no hope. But Greta Thunberg said, when we start to act, hope is everywhere. So instead of looking for hope, look for action. Then the hope will come. So obviously our best hope against climate change is to take action. And we can take action by living sustainably. I hope you have enjoyed this week's episode, folks, and I look forward to seeing you or hearing from you next week. But for now, this is your host, Patrick, signing off until next week. Always remember to live sustainably, because this is how we build a better future. Music